Hello, and welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host. My name is Caitlin. On this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. That tends to be art house and world cinema. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about um, sort of a underappreciated, underknown director. Her name is Larissa Shapitko. I'm going to be talking about two of her films. One is Wings. One is The Ascent. She is probably the greatest or the best director that many of you have probably never heard of. And I want to use this episode to change that. And I want to take you deep into her work. And I want to talk about why I love it, why I think it's important. And so I hope you will stick with me and listen to the full episode. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, as I said, my name is Caitlin. I'm a writer, a dreamer. I love literature, art, poetry. I'm someone who craves knowledge and I like to know about the world. And more than anything, art for me is life-saving, whether it be literature or cinema. My love for cinema is pretty recent and it developed sort of in 2011 in my early 20s. And I fell madly in love with films and ever since then I've been exploring them and watching them. I created this podcast as an outlet for all my feelings. Um, This is an unapologetically personal podcast. It's raw at times, Um, but I put a lot of heart and soul into it and it's, it's something that I really enjoy. I love bringing you these episodes and I love talking about movies. This podcast does have a Patreon where you can help to financially support the podcast if you would like to. Um, I would love to have you as a patron. You get rewards and extras like bonus episodes. Um, For one reward, you can get a shout out in each episode. So I just want to give my shout outs to Jesse, Polina, Lindsay, Olivia, Carolyn, Feminist Overlord, and Michelle. Thank you so much for helping to support the podcast. And I appreciate all of you who listen, who um, who find value in what I have to say about films. And something that I really love about this podcast, it's not huge. It's, um, I have a very small little platform. But with what platform I do have and what small influence I do have, I really love the idea of being able to spotlight filmmakers and films that are a little bit obscure, that are not as familiar to you, not as known to you, but that I could introduce you to them and I could I could maybe spark your interest in some of these filmmakers or at least make you aware of them and I would love to do more of that and I hope to do more of that, especially when it comes to women. Because as we know, even today, the numbers of women directing are minuscule and they are very small. There's a huge amount of inequality within the film industry, not just for, uh, you know, white women, but for women of color and in general people of color, you know, men of color. They don't get to have their voices heard or get to make their films. And so something that is really important to me is, is to use this podcast to spotlight some of those marginalized voices and to highlight filmmakers who have maybe 
been forgotten or just underappreciated and not as widely known as I think they should be. And so I've worked very hard on this episode to take you into um, the world of Larissa Shapitko. And so that's who I'm dedicating this episode to. I want to talk a moment about how I came to Shapitko. I recently, a few months ago, did an episode about a Soviet film called Come and See. It was made in 1985 and it was directed by Elam Klimov. That was a film that I had always wanted to see. It's this really monumental, visceral, shocking, powerful film about war. It's about a young boy, a teenage boy, who experiences the Nazi occupation of Belarus in the 1940s. And it's, I can't recommend it enough. Um, I saw it on Filmstruck. And if you're listening, it may still be on there. Well, Elam Klimov was married to Larissa Shapitko. And so through watching Come and See and exploring that film and his work, I, I did research on him and stuff. I got to thinking about Larissa again because a few years ago in 2014, so four years ago, I saw one of her films. I saw The Ascent and it was one of the most powerful, uh, I know I use that word a lot, I use powerful a lot. It was one of the most astonishing films I've ever seen and like Come and See, it's set in Belarus. Um, it's set during the Second World War and, and the Soviet um, experience of it and of the Nazis occupying Belarus. And I'm going to talk about that film um, later on in the podcast. But this film has stayed with me for years now. Um, I, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the greatest films about war ever made. And... So when I watched Come and See and I was researching Klimov, he brought me back to Larissa Shapitko and I thought, I want to do an episode about her. I want to explore more of her work. So that's what I'm doing with this episode. Um, and something else that I want to say before I get into the biographical information and things about her life and her films is that I think an important part of feminism, of my feminism, is to bring up, uh, I don't know what the phrase, bring up the bodies in a way of all the women of history, the women of the past who have been forgotten, who their lives have not been remembered the way that they should have been. You know, I think of Alice Walker finding the grave of Zora Neale Hurston, for example. Um, and I remember articulating this in a, in a feminism class that I took in college. Um, I went to college from 2010 to 2014 and I double majored. I majored in English and then I majored in women's and gender studies. And I took this really fascinating class about transnational feminism, I think it was. And I have anxiety issues and I don't often speak in class. <laughs> so this was one of the rare moments when I actually spoke in front of the, um, in front of the class or, or I had something to say. And so maybe that's why it remains so vivid for me. But something that I articulated in that class 
was that I think an important project of feminism, and this is just one aspect of it, it's not the sole purpose, but it is to save forgotten women artists from oblivion. And I think that is important, you know. I think it's important to keep these women alive. I think it's important to reevaluate their contribution. Um, you know, just imagine if Alice Walker had not, you know, brought Zora Neale Hurston back into our lives. And now, you know, um, while their eyes were watching God is, I, I read that when I was in high school, you know, it's on all kinds of high school and college curriculums. And so that one act of, of saving Zora Neale Hurston from oblivion in many ways has enriched all of us for the better. There are so many women artists, women filmmakers, women writers, you know, so many out there who have been forgotten or overlooked or neglected. And I think part of feminism's project, part of its job could be to save some of those women and to hold them up and to say, what did they create? What is the value of this contribution? Why has it gone underappreciated? Why has it uh, become forgotten? And to force people to reevaluate it, to force people to change the canon. You know, so many of these canons of literature and cinema are just dominated by men, by white men. And so I think it's it's very important for us to push back and say, what are some other contributions? What are some other texts? What are some other films that were made? And let's look at the value of these and let's watch them. And and so I think Larissa Shapitko is part of that. This is a woman who was profoundly talented and brilliant and intellectual and <laughs> she deserves um you know in film school she was only a few years i think behind andre tarkovsky now of course tarkovsky has become you know canonized in many ways and i love tarkovsky myself but you know the ascent is tremendous and, and this is a this is a monumental important film why are we not talking more about it who are the women who are being forgotten who are the women who have been buried by time and forgotten by time and erased and how can we salvage them how can we bring them back to life in some way and how can we be nurtured and nourished by the art that they created and i think that's really important like really essential and it's something that i myself seek to do and in a small way that's what i'm trying to do with this podcast episode i am searching for larissa shapitko i am exploring shapitko's work and i want to put my i want to i want to central centralize her and center her films and her art and say this is worthy this is worthy of being watched this is worthy of being talked about and i will hope that i lead you to her work in some way if you have not already seen it if some of you are really dedicated cinephiles you may have already seen her work and so i hope i can bring some you know more information to you or something but um you know with my episode on barbara loden and her film wanda that was also me trying to um to salvage and save a neglected female director a female filmmaker that I thought was very important and, and created something important. And so I'm trying to do something similar with this ep episode on Larissa Shapitko. 
it's very interesting I talk often about the coincidences that can happen when I'm doing this podcast Um, and they spring up from time to time when I was doing the episode on Lee Chang Dong's poetry that week or just a few days before um, I recorded the episode it was National Poetry Day or International Poetry Day and that was an interesting coincidence and I have another one for this episode Um, just yesterday was Larissa Shapitko's birthday and I didn't know that it was coming up I didn't know that it was I had already planned to record this episode over the weekend that's when I'm recording it and today is the 7th yesterday was January 6th and it was her birthday and I've been working on this episode for um, over a week now I've been doing research taking notes watching the films and so I thought, oh my gosh, I love this. Like, I, I'm not religious. I, I don't believe in any kind of signs. But I was like, wow, you know, I was just planning to record an episode about her. And here's her birthday. I mean, how fitting is that? And it felt, to me, it just, I just took it as I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right thing, you know. And um, I just thought that was a little nice tidbit <laughs> for you. But she was born January 6, 1938, and she died July 2, 1979. The thing about Larissa Shapitko is there is tragedy about her because she was so talented, but she did not create a lot of films. She created very few, and um, uh, she died in 1979 and she was only 41 years old she died in a car accident while she was filming what would be her final film but it was not completed so the ascent was actually her last completed film so there is such a tragic aspect to her that she died young and that she wasn't able to continue making films um her husband ellen klimov lived much much um longer like probably into his 70s or 80s and um she was born in ukraine she grew up in a ukrainian village and she had a a very difficult life she had two siblings um they were all abandoned by their father and i'm getting this information from a tablet magazine uh, article about shapiko that's my source for this information At the age of 20, she started studying at the VGIK, which is the Gerasimov Institute of Cinematography, to film school in Moscow. Her husband, Ellen Klimov, also attended the school, and so did Andrei Tarkovsky, and many other Soviet directors went to this school. She was mentored by Alexander Dovshinko, and he was a big mentor to her as well and there's some more information i gleaned there's not a lot out there about her that's the thing of when you like sort of obscure filmmakers is that you know if you put in steven spielberg in the google search engine you're going to get all kinds of biographical information about steven spielberg But when you do it for Larissa Shapitko, you're not going to get as much information. I wish I had more about her. 
But um, there is a Guardian article, and I will put the link to these articles in the description of the episode so that you can explore it as well. But there's this interesting story in the Guardian that really I find kind of haunting. But um, it says, and I'm I'm going to quote it here. Quote, Larissa was, was increasingly preoccupied by death. Highly superstitious, she had her fortune told in Bulgaria in 1978, after which she immediately took her friend to a nearby church and made her swear that should anything happen to her or Elam, she must look after their young son, Anton. A few months later, she was killed. Unquote. I thought that was very haunting that in some ways she sort of had this weird premonition about her death. Um, it's it's sad in a lot of ways too. And it's interesting to note that Tarkovsky wrote about Shapitko's death in his diary. Um, the Guardian quotes from his diary. Um, he wrote, quote, Larissa Shapitko was buried and so were five members of her team. A car accident, all killed instantly. It was so sudden that no adrenaline was found in their blood. Unquote. When she died, she was, as I said, filming a film called The Farewell, and her husband, Ellen Klimov, actually had to finish the film. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Shapitko's sort of filmmaking philosophy. As I say, we don't have a lot of biographical information. We don't have, like, you know, books of interviews that she did talking about. I mean, th they may exist, but they're probably in Russian, you know, and they're not easily accessible. Um, so um, after Shapitko died, um, Elam Klimov, her husband, he did a short film about her called Larissa. And you can watch it online. It's on Vimeo. Um, and I'll put the link in the description, of course. And um, he made it in 1980. And it's sort of this tribute to Larissa's life and to her filmmaking. I got the sense that he respected her a great deal. That it felt to me like the marriage was one of sort of equality and respect. And um, so I wanted to talk about some quotes that I gleaned from that short documentary. And these are Larissa's words herself. And so that's why they're so precious and so important. Um, and it's her voice and she's speaking. And it's really, it's really amazing to actually hear her voice and to hear her talking. So this is something that she says, quote, I'm giving you my word that there's nothing, there's no frame in my film, not a single one that doesn't come from me as a woman. I've never engaged in copycatting, never tried to imitate men, because I know very well that all the efforts of my girlfriends, both older and younger than me, to imitate men's cinema were just nonsensical. But a woman as one half of the humankind origin can tell the world, reveal to the world, some amazing things." Unquote. So I thought this was fascinating because it indicates that she was, you know, um, some women artists do not like being called women artists and they don't like their gender being mentioned when they are mentioned. They see themselves just as artists or just as filmmakers and they don't want that description of female or woman or, you know, and I understand that to an extent. I understand that they want to be evaluated 
on the quality of their work. They don't want it to be mediated. They don't want it to be inflected by their gender. They don't want it to be said, oh, she's a great female filmmaker. They just want to be seen as a great filmmaker. And I get that. But unfortunately, in the world we live in, gender does matter. And and I, as a feminist, as a woman, I do look to women artists. And I guess I do define them by their gender to a certain extent. I am interested in what they have to say about women and and gender and society and things like that. I don't see it as a negative to define them as women filmmakers or women artists. And so I really kind of loved that Larissa was not afraid to say, yeah, as a woman, that has affected me as a filmmaker. It has affected the films that I create. Um, I do believe, and I'm not saying that this happens 100% of the time, but usually when you have a woman directing a film or a woman writing a film, and Shapitko, I know she at least co-wrote The Ascent, I'm not sure about Wings, um, usually when you have a woman involved either in the directing or the writing, you tend to get women characters that are much more multi-dimensional and rich and nuanced and complex and authentic. It doesn't happen every time. It doesn't mean just because you're a woman that you can necessarily make great women characters. But I do think that we can look at women's, you know, women filmmakers and and evaluate how they portray women and how they represent women. And often we are better for it. You know, we are better for seeing representations of women that are made by women, you know. I'm not saying men can't write women really well. You know, um they certainly can. And I've been often been moved by films about women that were directed by men. But um I just love that Shapitko um embraces that. She embraces her identity as a woman and she's not trying to imitate men. She's not trying to be like Tarkovsky or any of the other male filmmakers that I guess that she has encountered. She's trying to create her own her own singular, unique cinematic vision. And I certainly think that she did that. And I think her representations of women, especially in her film Wings, which I'm going to talk about shortly, is rich and beautiful and something that just... Um, moved me so deeply. And I think this other quote from the documentary Larissa is really indicative of her <coughs> with her maybe cinematic preoccupations and and what she was thinking about and her own her own morality and and things like that. So here's the quote. If your life had been enriched with care for another person, then you have already justified your existence. This is evidence of the spiritual life of a person. What are we born into this world for? What will we contribute to this world? How can we make life better? Unquote. So I think in that one quote, you see that Shapitko wants to ask really big questions. She wants to ask questions about morality about spirituality, about the inner being of a person and what they're made of and what they dream of.
and you see that in her films you see all of that in her films um and she just that's such a beautiful quote i think because i think all of us wonder about that what are we born into this world for what will we contribute to this world how can we make life better and that seems to be something that she deeply deeply cared about so i'm going to talk about a, her film called wings um it was made in 1966 I believe it was her feature film debut, I want to say. Okay, I'm not going to talk about Wings right away. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about the short documentary by Ellen Klimov. Sorry about that. And um, because I just want to linger on it for a moment. As I said, directed by her husband, Ellen Klimov. He made it in 1980. It really is an elegy for Shapitko. It is this document, I think, of mourning, but also of love. You have to remember that every frame that was put together for this film, he put together. It is an act of love. And his documentary about Larissa, I mean, how many films do we have like this? I mean, we rarely have couples who are both directors and who then make films about one another or that do any kind of mourning for one another through film. It's not something that we come across very often and that's why I wanted to linger on it. It reminded me a lot of Agnes Varda and some of the work that she has done about her late husband Jacques Demy. Um, she's actually made several films about Jacques. Um, she did the she did a film called the universe of jacques Demy. she did one called jaco de non i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right i apologize she did another one called the young girls turn 25 i think which was about um a film that Demy uh did she also talks about him at length in the beaches of agnes so jacques Demy is profoundly woven into the cinema of Agnes Varda not into every film of course but she does use cinema to mourn him and to talk about him and to I mean she she did a film about his his uh, life during the Second World War when he was a young boy in France she did um, a film about his films and his cinema so she has been really integral, I think, to his legacy and, and to all of that. Um, but these are very moving films and personal films. And um, when I was watching Larissa, I thought of that. I, that was sort of the only other couple, uh, directing couple, that I could think of personally, you know, in my own experience of films. And so I thought it was really interesting um, that Klimov did this film. And he really did it only about a year after Shapitko died. So there's a rawness there, I think, too. And the film opens with all these photos of Shapitko from when she was a baby to her funeral. He took some pictures outside her funeral. And he appears in the film. He shows scenes from her final film, Farewell, that he had to finish. Um... 
so it's I, I just wanted to talk a moment about it it's it's beautiful you can find it online and I will put a link in the description it, it's it's a powerful document in that it is really an act of love and an act of mourning for Shepitko and it gives it's it's actually very precious because as I said she's speaking in it we get to hear some of her philosophy on on film and we also get to see actors that she worked with and and I'll talk about that as I'm talking about the different films and stuff so it's just this really beautiful elegy to this this filmmaker that we lost much too soon much much too soon and I'm glad that we have it and so in the film he talks about wings which I'm going to talk about next and it's he has this really beautiful uh, quote about it because wings is about a woman who was a fighter pilot in the Second World War and it's about and it was made in 1966 so it's made 20 years after the end of the Second World War and it's about her trying to adjust to her life after the war you know and her thinking about her experiences of being a pilot of being in the sky of flying and that's why it's called wings so it's this film that and I'm gonna talk more in more depth about it in a moment but it's this film about nostalgia and a, but it's also about the war and um, strangely her nostalgia for the war right I mean most people would not be nostalgic for that but being a pilot I guess gave her access to a kind of freedom that she did not have before the war and of wings Klimov says wings is a film about people scorched by war about the never to be healed wounds of memory about the insufferableness of wingless existence unquote is that not gorgeous I just thought that was the most beautiful thing um, and to talk about wings I wanted to talk a moment about a book that I read as I was watching the film it was just a coincidence that I happened to watch them at the same that I happened to experience them at the same time but I read a book in 2017 called The Unwomanly Face of War and it's by Nobel laureate Svetlana Alexievich who is this tremendous writer um, she does these oral histories it was originally published in 1985 and it's about Soviet women in the Second World War it's about their experiences um, and they tell them with their own words because that's what Alexievich does she goes she interviews people she takes these oral histories and she puts them together and she really creates a chorus of voices to tell the story of huge historical events and she finds the universal within the personal the universal within the individual within the details small details of everyday life and uh, nearly one million Soviet women participated in the Second World War it was about 800,000 and um, as I said Alexievich looks at history through indi through individual stories and I love this quote from the book and it really sums up what she's doing quote however much I love to look at the sky or the sea still I'm more fascinated by a grain of sand under a microscope 
the world in a single drop, the great and incredible life I discover in it. How can I call the small small and the great great when both are so boundless? I've long ceased to distinguish between them. For me, one human being is so much. There is everything in him. You can get lost." Unquote. In many ways, I think that Shapitko's cinema does something similar. That she is looking at something huge, monumental, through individual personal stories. With Wings, she's looking at a Soviet woman who fought in the Second World War, and she's looking at one woman's life, one woman's experience. In The Ascent, she's looking at two partisans in Belarus who get captured by the Nazis and about the torture and the suffering that one of them in particular undergoes, but also other people in the film that speaks to the larger suffering that happened in Belarus and in the Soviet Union. So she takes these monumental stories about war, about fighting in war, and she refracts them and, and tells them through one particular person or a set of individuals. And therefore she makes history sort of tangible and personal and up close. And I think she was doing something a little bit similar to Alexievich, I guess. And Klimov did the same thing in Come and See with his war film, telling the Nazi occupation of Belarus through a teenage boy. I, I just want to press upon you the importance of the unwomanly face of war and of Alexievich's work. She also did a book called Voices, of, uh, Voices from Chernobyl, and that is a tremendous book as well. I mean, I consider these masterpieces. When I was reading them, I just was so overwhelmed by the beauty of them, of just hearing people's voices and what they have to say about their lives and their experiences. But there are such vivid details, harrowing stories from the unwomanly face of war. The women share these intimate details about their lives in the trenches and fighting on the front lines. Many women fought on the front lines. They were not doing domestic duties. Some of them were, but a lot of them were holding guns and shooting soldiers. They were shooting the enemy. They were killed themselves. They were killing other people. They were seeing violence, you know, up close. They talked about how they hated wearing men's underwear. They, they had to wear men's underwear. How some of them couldn't stand the color red after the war. Some couldn't stop smelling blood after the war. How sad they were when their braids were chopped off when they entered the military. How one woman survived by eating frozen dung. I think about that. We've had this arctic cold lately and every time you go outside it's just freezing cold. And um, I just, I thought of that. I was like outside one day and I just thought about how do you eat dung? Like, <laughs> I couldn't even comprehend it. Um, they talk about how they wanted to kill at times because they hated the Germans, they hated the Nazis, and what the Nazis were doing to the to their people, you know, in this in those various Soviet countries. And yet, how also seeing death and seeing violence was very difficult. And there's this really interesting story that c connects with wings, and it's 
This is a female fighter pilot in the book itself. She said, quote, We flew fighters. The altitude itself was a terrible strain on a woman's whole body. Sometimes your stomach was pressed right up against your spine. But our girls flew and shot down aces and what aces. You know, when we walked by, men looked at us with astonishment. They're women pilots. They admired us, unquote. So that is how I want to transition into this film, Wings. Um, it stars Maya Bulgakova. I researched how to pronounce these Russian names, but I am not perfect, and I do apologize if I get them wrong. Um, Bulgakova plays Nadezhda Petrikina, a woman who was a fighter pilot in the Second World War, but two decades later, you know, the 1960s, she's struggling to adjust to her life as a principal at a school to connect to her adopted daughter. She adopted a daughter to relate to the younger generation. Because obviously, you know, she's older now. She's in her 40s. She's no longer part of the youth. And she can't really understand the generation that is that is coming up. Um and she also is trying to deal with her grief over the death of the man that she loved during the war. And um, there are spoilers in this episode. I should have said that earlier. I keep forgetting that. But I'm talking about a lot of things in these films. So she actually never married after the war. And she's quite haunted by the memory of the lover that she had during the Second World War. And she's also really nostalgic for sort of this more adventurous exciting liberating time that she experienced while flying in the skies I mean I'm sure it was scary but it seems like she longs for it at the same time she longs for being in the um in the air you know it's something that she really wants to have again and she thinks about it often um I mean, as as you can tell in the quote from the Alexievich book, the woman fighter pilot, they were respected by men. They, by um, by being in the military, they sort of incurred a certain amount of respect that maybe once they went back to civilian life, they didn't have as much. So I just want to talk about a few scenes in this film. Um, I'm not going to go into a ton of depth about the film. It's a good film, and it's it takes a little while, I think, to get going or for you to totally get into it. But it takes you over, and and by the end of it, and the and some certain scenes, I was just absolutely adored it. You know, I I just thought it was gorgeous. But there's this amazing scene. I call it the daydream scene, and she's at the school or, or she's somewhere and she's looking out the window and she sees the sky and she sees the clouds in the sky and um all of a sudden she closes her eyes and she's really not in the present anymore she's in the world of the past that's the way i saw it she's in that unreachable but irresistible place that we call the past and um, she's thinking about how she was in her plane and she was she didn't just look at the cloud she didn't just look at the sky she was in it 
she was in the sky she was in the air and um that scene the way Bogakova um acts it because Bogakova is just a, a stellar actress you see every emotion pass over her face you can just see the the longing in her face and it made me think you know what does a woman do with her memory and her yearning it's just the things that a woman holds inside of her all the things that she remembers and, and longs for that nobody will ever know you know that we keep to ourselves and that we keep in this private place inside of us which is where she keeps those memories obviously I don't have any sense that she's shared them with her daughter or and like I said she never remarried I think she maybe dates men or something but there's nothing too serious so that is one scene that I just thought was masterful there's another scene where her lover dies and it's very interesting the way the lover dies both of their planes are in the sky I guess both of them are fighting the Germans or the Nazis or whatever and um, his plane is hit and at times we're in the cockpit but once his plane is hit from what I can remember we are outside of the cockpit we are just looking up at the sky and we can see the planes in the sky so they're kind of far away and his plane because it's been hit um, slowly starts to descend from the sky but then her plane stays close to it it sort of circles it or stays sort of by its side in many ways during sort of the slow death plunge of this plane and I just thought it was one of the most moving images of like mourning and grief and that I mean she could just have kept flying and saved herself or whatever and instead she flies next to him as his plane plunges from the sky knowing that he's dead I can't even I'm having trouble talking about it what came to my mind was this scene that I heard about online on the BBC series Blue Planet 2 and it showed this mother whale carrying her dead baby with her in the ocean for like days but the point is is that the baby is like right it's not beside of her I think it's in her mouth or she's carrying it with her throughout this this really gorgeous blue ocean obviously she can't let that baby calf go right and so I think Bulgakova's character um, Nadezhda uh, the woman she's playing is called Nadezhda she does something similar where she remains by the side of her lover's plane until it hits the ground and at times it almost looked like a ballet in the sky it was it, it's hard for me to explain the scene but it's this poetic beautiful scene um, that I, I thought was so unique and, and visionary that's the thing about Shapitko is when you watch her films these scenes are beautifully framed are beautifully set up beautifully imagined and realized there is so much care I think in every frame and every scene and you can see her visionary uh, 
gifts, right? And then, of course, the final scene that I really adored. Um, she goes to this place where there's planes, you know, I guess where ordinary people, like an airport or something, where ordinary people can, like, uh, have their little planes or rent little planes, sort of like one-engine planes. Um... And I don't, I'm not sure how many of the people know that she was a fighter pilot in the war. I mean, there's this scene where she goes to a museum, and I think she's mentioned in the museum. She's honored, you know, and, and I think people probably thank her for what she did and her service and everything. But I don't think they realize how much the experience meant to her and how much she still thinks about it. So she goes to this this airfield or this air base or something or this airport um and i'm not sure how but she ends up in one of the planes she goes herself to one of the planes and she goes and she sits in it she just kind of wants to re remember what it was like to be in the cockpit well her students show up some of the students from the school where she's a principal and all of them they go on the wings and they start pushing the plane and pushing it and and um it's actually a really sweet scene you know where they're trying to um i guess give her that experience of flying again and bogakova is in the in the cockpit and once again just like with the earlier scene of the daydream um everything is on her face and her eyes start to glisten and they start to become very glassy from tears and her eyes are welling with tears and it's just this gorgeous scene of like i don't even know how to put it into words it's just when the past i think completely takes you over and you you're you're in touch maybe with some part of yourself that you thought was gone forever you know she probably never thought she'd be in a plane again and here she is in a plane and and she has that again she has that experience and she's sick of waiting on these kids she's sick of letting these kids uh push the plane she starts to take off herself <laughs> she knows how to do a plane and so all of a sudden the propeller on the plane starts to go around and she takes off she's out of there she's going out into the sky um it's just amazing she just takes action she's like i'm flying and so she goes and she and the plane goes up in the sky it's just so it's almost whimsical this scene there, there's something like um sort of dreamy about it or, or magical you know that here she is in the cockpit and and then she just takes the plane and she takes control over it and takes it into the sky and it's just but that scene that close-up of her face and this is what you will see time and again in chapitko cinema is close-ups she is profoundly concerned and interested in the human face and what it communicates um and that is what you see in this scene bogakova is saying everything on her face and all the emotions and all the memories all the pain all the longing 
it's all right there. And Bogakova in the Larissa documentary that I talked about earlier by Ellen Klimov, she has some beautiful things to say about Larissa Shapitko. And I wanted to share her quote from the documentary. This was what she had to say about working with Larissa. And Bogakova was in Farewell. She had been cast again in Farewell, which was Larissa's final film that she died while filming. And so she didn't get to finish it. So Bogakova says, quote, I want to make a declaration of love. Love is the only thing that never dies, as there is no death. Perhaps for the first time in my life, I realized that if a person is talented, that person is immortal. And to my last day, I'll be proud of the fact that I acted in Larissa Shapitko's films, unquote. I thought that was one of the most beautiful things one person had said about another. I mean, that is how much Larissa was loved and respected as, as, as an artist and as a filmmaker. So I want to go on to The Ascent, which is really by most people considered Shapitko's masterpiece. And that's how I wanted to end the episode, because I want to go much deeper into this film. This is the film that I saw in 2014. Wings I saw just for the first time in late 2017. It is streaming on Filmstruck, if you are interested in seeing Wings. The Ascent is not, but it is... I think it's part of the Criterion Collection, or it's part of the Eclipse series that is part of the Criterion Collection, I think. I'm not totally sure what the difference is between Eclipse and the main Criterion Collection. So The Ascent was made in, and released in 1977, and so it was made, it came out about 10 years um, after Wings did. and. Um, so there's this other quote from Svetlana Alexievich's The Unwomanly Face of War that I think connects really well to this film. And she says, quote, A human being is guided by something stronger than history. I have to gain breadth to write the truth about life and death in general, not only the truth about war. To ask Dostoevsky's question, how much human being is in a human being and how to protect this human being in oneself unquote that i want to linger on that to ask dostoevsky's question how much human being is in a human being and how to protect this human being in oneself this is central i think to the ascent and it just so happens that alexievich wrote that in her book but I think that the ascent is deeply, deeply concerned in how you stay human, how you stay moral in immoral circumstances, in circumstances that would require you to compromise your morality and your ethics and your very humanity. The Ascent is based on a novella by Vasily Bikov, and that novella was called Sotnikov. And Sotnikov in the film is the main character, 
and that's why I guess the novella was called that but it was renamed for the film was called The Ascent. This is Larissa's this is her masterpiece in many ways. It's set in Belarus in 1942 during the Nazi occupation of that country. Um, it's in a gist and I'm going to talk more about the um, plot but it's about two partisans um, who go looking for food for uh, their group and how they're captured by the Nazis. Shapitko did co-write the script. And so I was doing research about the film um, and I went and uh, Senses of Cinema, they've done this issue recently called 100 Years of Soviet Cinema. So I went and read what they had to write about the ascent and I got a little bit of information about the film that I thought was really interesting. It did receive positive reviews in the Soviet Union when it was released. It won the Golden Bear at the 1977 Berlin International Film Festival. Um, it's her last completed film, as I say. It's, it came out in 77 and she died in 79. And, it, and the article in Senses of Cinema led me to something Susan Sontag wrote in The New Yorker. Um, she has this article or this essay called Looking at War, and I'll put the link in the description. And she mentions the ascent, um, and she writes, quote, No photograph or portfolio of photographs can unfold, go further and further still, as does the ascent by the Ukrainian director Larissa Shapitko, the most affecting film about the horror of war I know. So Susan Sontag says that this is the most affecting film about the horror of war. I would agree, but I would also add in Elam Klimov's Come and See. I think that is one of the most powerful films about war too. And I don't know if Sontag saw Come and See or what she thought of it, but she thought very highly about The Ascent. And as we know, Sontag is, you know, considered one of the greatest intellectuals in modern times. And I think that says a lot when Sontag thinks that you have created a great film. And she was very passionate about cinema. Um, and so I thought that quote was really interesting. So that was just a few things that I gleaned from Senses of Cinema. There are so many themes in this film. Um... It's about human pain and endurance. It's about spiritual strength. It's about the fear of death. <laughs> um, there is a moral complexity and a moral ambiguity to the film. It's very concerned with the psychology of the characters, especially Sotnikov. Um, it's about collaboration and uh, people who collaborated with the Nazis. Um, and the the conditions under which that collaboration took place. Um, there is a religious imagery to it a little bit. Um, I'll talk about it later, but Sotnikov, this character, is almost Christ-like in a way, whereas his partner, uh, Reebok, is sort of like a Judas character. And this film is also about resistance. 
you know the partisans in belarus are obviously part of the resistance to the nazis but it's also about this personal inner resistance that the character of Sotnikov has. Um, in many ways, he at, at one point he's interrogated, and he he really remains silent in a lot of ways. He he is asked to give information about the partisans and where they are in the forest, and to you know sell people out and to betray his comrades. But he refuses to do that and through and that personal resistance reminded me a bit of a really amazing phenomenal film uh, by Jean-Pierre Melville from 1949 called Le Silence de la Mer which I love it's one of my favorite films about the Second World War um, it's it's amazing and in that film an, a Nazi uh, soldier comes to live it takes place in france and he comes to live in this french home with this woman and her father and he keeps trying to talk to them and to engage with them and the woman refuses to talk to him and she really uses her silence as a form of resistance against this german soldier and i think in some ways sotnikov does that so this film opens with snow that is a huge part of this film it's it's a really good film to watch in the winter time i think it's it's snowy um there's snow everywhere and um it's made in it was made in black and white just like wings was and um the crispness of the black and white is just beautiful um so we see partisans who are fighting the Nazis. It's in Belarus, 1942. Um, Nazis have occupied Belarus at that point. Many partisans are wounded. They're lying in the snow. They're in the forest. And we see close-ups of their faces. We can see the desperation, the exhaustion, the humanity. And this will this is a theme or a technique of the film and of Shapitko cinema is the close-up. The film is full of close-ups. The close-ups are integral into communicating the inner psychology of the characters. And Shapitko is very interested, as I said earlier, in the human face and in how it conveys emotion. Um, the partisans need food, and so they choose two partisans who are part of the group, a man named Sotnikov and a man named Reebok. Um, Sotnikov is the main character pretty much and he's played by a man named Boris Plotnikov who is uh, amazing and the, amazing doesn't really say he is extraordinary in this film with his performance it is just um, one of the greatest performances I think in cinema history what he is able to do this was actually his first film he's gone on to do many more films but this was his first one so Sotnikov and Reebok are sent to find food um, they stop at one house where there's a man and he has there's this elderly man and he's known for collaborating with the Germans and it's interesting because they insult him, Re Reebok, you know, does, 
And then, of course, later, Reebok is sort of the Judas, and Reebok is the one who is willing to really sell out in, in many ways and, and to cooperate with the Germans. And so I find it very interesting in this in that scene that he is so judgmental of what this man has done. But what is powerful about this film and important is that Shapitko herself and in the film does not judge as harshly or I mean I don't know if there's judgment or not I would say there's not I would say that the film is looking at the moral complexities and the moral calculus that happens in the time of in times of war where there isn't black and white and I think she extends humanity to her characters and she extends compassion and she gives them an inner life and she gives them a, a, a measure of respect as people and um, at one point they leave that house and they're really exposed out in the snow um, it's just whiteness everywhere and so they have these dark outfits on obviously they stick out like a sore thumb I mean they are so vulnerable and they do attract the attention of some Nazi soldiers who are driving by I think Sotnikov gets in this firefight with Nazis he gets hit he doesn't want to get captured and he tries to kill himself but he isn't able to Reebok comes drags him through the snow they are like crawling in the snow it's so thick it's almost like mud in the film um, it's just this amazing scene where Reebok is trying to save Sotnikov um, and eventually Sotnikov he's sort of um, he's sitting in the snow they've they've um, managed to escape and he has his back against a tree and this is the visionary part of Shapitko cinema and the way that her her scenes are framed and set up is you can see his face through these frozen snow-covered tree branches um, again his face is really central to this film but it's this gorgeous just image you know of his face sort of fragmented and fractured through these this sort of these snaky snake-like um, you know frozen tree branches they do come upon a house it's a mother she has several children um, but again the Nazis show up the woman hides them what choice does she have um, I thought the film it doesn't focus on women the way wings does I didn't mention that earlier what I loved about Wings was that it centralized a woman's life, a woman's subjectivity, a woman's inner life, her inner dreams, yearnings, feelings. She did such a great job with that, you know. And to talk about a subject that still doesn't get talked about much in cinema, which is women who fought in the Second World War. Um, there's just not a lot of information about it or a lot of focus about it. We tend to focus on the male experience of war and what Wings did that was so important I think is that it focused on the on the female experience of war a bit although as I, as I said 
the film is set in the 60s, so we don't see much of the war, except in those flashbacks. It's more of the memory of the war, the memory of her lover and, and losing him. It's really the life after war, whereas The Ascent is explicitly about the war itself, although it's not really about battles and, and military campaigns. Again, it is centralizing the personal, the individual. You know, it's basically about Satnikov and Reebok. It's these two men and them trying to stay alive. I mean, that is always the central struggle of a war is to live that basic human instinct to stay alive, to to escape death, to evade death. And that is what they are trying to do. That is what is central for Reebok. Now, Sotnikov is not as scared as of death. He is still able somehow to think beyond his fear of death and to think of larger things. And I'll talk about that more in a moment. And that's where there's like this spiritual dimension to the film that really echoes what Shapitko spoke about earlier, that she thinks about these things. She thinks about the spiritual dimension um, of people. Let me find that. That she's interested in, quote, evidence of the spiritual life of a person. So she's interested in those larger questions. So the Nazi soldiers show up and Reebok and Sotnikov are hiding. They're hiding like in some hay in the attic or whatever. And um, unfortunately, Sotnikov, he's sick. He's sick at this time. He's coughing a lot and he coughs and the soldiers hear him and um, Sotnikov and Reebok are caught. They're taken to I guess the Nazi headquarters in the village and the woman the mother is taken as well and her children are left alone I mean this is the dead of winter and these little children are just left I know what I was I lost my train of thought I thought this scene in particular with the the mother and her children showed um, some of what women went through in the Second World War, that here is this woman just trying to take care of her children. Her husband's obviously off probably on the front lines. She is tasked with taking care of herself and taking care of them. But if soldiers come by, be them Soviet, be them German, she has to figure out a way to navigate that interaction. At one point, Reebok is sort of coming on to her sexually. There is the suggestion that he wants to have sex with her, but that is when the soldiers show up and they have to run and hide. So you see the impossible situations that people were put in, um, that they had to, in order to stay alive, in order to protect your children, you maybe had to make decisions that were morally wrong or morally ambiguous because you're just trying to stay alive. So they are taken to the Nazi headquarters and there is a policeman there who interrogates them. His name is Portnov and he's played by Anatoly um, Solonitsyn and he's been in several Andrei Tarkovsky films. 
um, and you would probably recognize him very much if you saw him. I've seen him in, in quite a few Tarkovsky films. Um, so Portnov is a very vicious character, and he thinks the woman was colluding with the partisans, but Sotnikov defends her. He doesn't want her to be hurt, um, but at the same time, he would have to betray the partisans to to save himself and to even save her and um he just refuses to betray his men and his comrades and he says that there are things more important than saving oneself that's not his exact words but that's sort of me paraphrasing portnov thinks that's absurd that all we have is life and that death is the end of life obviously and at that point sotnikov calls portnov human scum <laughs> But um, but Portnov is articulating something that Reebok articulated as well, or articulates later on, which is this this drive to stay alive, that everything people do in wartime, pretty much, in order to survive, is because they don't want to die. They don't want life to end. They are so um, consumed by that, which is understandable. It's it's a human instinct, and um, but as a, but again, we see how Sotnikov has this spiritual dimension to him, that he is willing to die, he is willing to sacrifice his life for the partisans in the forest, and later on even for other people, including the woman. Um, Portnov really wants to break Sotnikov. I think once he hears that, like, oh, there are other things, you know, more important than saving oneself, he wants Sotnikov to be broken. He doesn't, he wants to rid him of those ideals and those illusions about morality. And so there is this gr just gruesome scene um, where they brand Sotnikov. They put this metal or iron brand into the fire and then they um, scorch his uh, chest with it and we only see his face as this happens and we see the steam rising from his burning skin we don't hear the screams I think either there's music playing or it goes silent we don't hear him screaming he is in agony and we can tell and Portnov just watches now Reebok is completely different than Sotnikov Reebok wants to live. He wants to help the Nazis or give them a little bit of information so that he and Sotnikov can stay alive. Of course, Sotnikov is completely opposed to it. He says, we're soldiers, and he feels that they need to be faithful to their comrades. Sotnikov at one point says, quote, don't crawl in shit. You'll never wash it off, unquote. So that pretty much tells you everything that Sotnikov believes is that Sotnikov, I guess, thinks that you can stay pure to some extent, that you can stay morally pure. And I love that Shapitko creates space for both sides. She could have easily just made Reebok, you know, this sort of, you know, traitor scum, you know, and totally one-dimensional and all of that, but she doesn't. 
She lets both sides articulate what they feel and what they believe. And both are valid. I think both are valid. I think in wartime, I think in these exceptional experiences um, or exceptional circumstances, and um, by exceptional, I mean outside the norm, you know, that in war, their morality is much more complex. And I don't think you can stay pure. And I think that... I think it's a difficult question. How do you hold on to the human being to go back to the Dostoevsky quote? Because as I say, I think that's what this film is exploring. How do you hold on to the human inside of you? How do you not compromise? How do you not give in? Is that possible? What does that look like? Um, obviously, Sotnikov is trying to hold on to his humanity. He is willing to die for his beliefs, his ideals, his honor. Reebok is just more practical-minded, I think. He doesn't think there is any point in dying. You know, he wants to stay alive. He wants to fight. He wants to beat the Nazis. And um, he's thinking in that way. Whereas Sotnikov at one point says, quote, The important thing is to be true to yourself, unquote. And Reebok is just incredibly frustrated with Sotnikov, you know. He says, all you've got left is your stubbornness, your principles. But, I mean, I guess in some ways at least Sotnikov has those, right? I mean, um, Sotnikov says, quote, then you go on living without a conscience. It can be done, unquote. He's trying to remind Reebok that there is something bigger than himself. That, um... You know, what good is it for Reebok to live if he sells everyone out and loses his morality and his honor, you know? Obviously, Sotnikov just believes in something larger than that. But you can see Reebok's side, too. Reebok gets mad because Sotnikov is really the why they're in the mess in the first place. He's the one that got in the firefight with the Nazis. He's the one that coughed so that they got caught by the Nazis. So he has put some of this into motion, and, you know, Reebok wants to live. And um, he, he's willing to compromise himself. And I don't think any of us as viewers in 2018 can really judge him for that, for wanting to stay alive. And um, I don't think any of us can say what we would do in that circumstance. Anybody... We cannot know what we would do. Anybody who says that is lying. You have no idea what you would have done in the Second World War. No idea. Because look what's happening now in our politics, in our political moment in America with Donald Trump and and the frightening and alarming rhetoric around nuclear war with North Korea. Nobody's doing anything about it. He tweets these things and nothing happens. Nobody stops it. Nobody stops him. You know, you can never say what you would have done years and years ago because you don't even know how to navigate your own moment that you're living in because you don't know what's coming next. 
And so I think it's really important when we watch these films to withhold judgment, to say these were really difficult circumstances and I don't know how I would uh, react to it, you know. So Sotnikov and, and Reebok, they're put in this cellar. Other people are added, including the woman who helped them, the woman that had the children. A little girl's put in there. An older man is put in there. And um, Sotnikov is in really bad condition. I mean, he's he's been branded on his chest. He's got the coughing. He's in really bad condition, but he wants to stay alive, actually. He wants to see the morning he doesn't want to die before the morning so they try to keep him awake and they give him water and um at one point the next day Sotnikov tells Portnov that he did everything he tries to take the blame and he wants to save them all and I think this is a big moment it's really indicative of his moral consciousness and how he wants to save people and, of course, Reebok does the complete opposite. He gives in. He says he'll join the police. And so they say that he can join the police. Um, and the prisoners are led along this really long road. And at the end of that road is these gallows that have been erected. And it's terrifying to just see these nooses hanging, hanging there. And... Um, the woman who has the children, she begs for her life. And Sotnikov asks for her forgiveness. And again, it's this very powerful scene with these close-ups. And I think Sotnikov feels a certain amount of responsibility. And there is this... And the, and the scene... The next scene is just... It's hard to watch. It's like each person having the noose put around their neck... And Shapitko lingers on each person's reaction and, and the close-up of their face. Almost using the close-up as like a form of like revelation, you know. This way to really see into these characters and to try to imagine what they must be thinking in their final moments. I mean, of course, you can never really comprehend that. Um, but I think she's trying to come close to that. And the noose is put around Sotnikov's neck. And at that moment, there are villagers who have amassed to watch the execution. Or maybe they were forced to watch the execution. It was probably a message to them. You know, if you collaborate with the partisans, if you go against the, the German soldiers, this is what will happen to you. I would imagine that's why they were there to watch it. And he makes eye contact, Sotnikov does, with this little boy. He's probably five or six. And he's watching the executions. And um, there's this haunting scene where all the other people have been hung or hanged. and But we don't see them. We only see, um, we see the stools under their feet get knocked down or knocked over. And then we just see their feet dangling. And it's this startling image of representing horror in this really sort of oblique or slant way, um, suggesting it rather than 
graphically showing it, it reminded me of a scene in L.M. Klimov's Come and See, where a young girl um, is running and she looks back and she sees a pile of bodies. And we don't get any kind of close-up of those bodies. The camera doesn't linger a long time on them. It's more about seeing her reaction to the bodies. And so it's telling horror in this much more um, suggestive way rather than like a graphic way. But it's still very difficult to see. And I saw um, the ascent, the scene in the ascent in a similar way. Um, of You just see the feet dangling. And that's how you know what's happened. And um, But then we do see Sotnikov's face when he when you know the stool under him is kicked or whatever and and he is hanged and um a tear when that happens a tear rolls down the face of the little boy who's watching and you imagine that he will probably remember this for the rest of his life and you wonder about how this memory could haunt and affect him this little boy of seeing these people hanged, of seeing this man in particular, Sotnikov, hanged. And it seems like at one point that Sotnikov smiles a bit. I, like, I, don't, I wonder if that's like a message to the little boy. You know, Sotnikov believes in something larger than himself. And I guess through his death, his I guess his martyrdom in a way, He's trying to send a message, you know, possibly to the little boy and to others to hold on to your humanity, to hold on to your morality, to hold on to what makes you human. And he is willing to die for that. And I don't think everybody is willing to do that. And I don't know if we should judge people who are not willing to do that because I don't know if I'm willing to do that. Not all of us have that, I don't think. And most of us, I think, want to stay alive. We want to survive. But then there are people like Sotnikov, or other people that we hear about in the Second World War, for instance. You know, people who died as part of the various resistance movements in Europe who are willing to die and they are willing to lay their lives down for something that they believe in or even people today and with activism and, and all of that there are people willing to die for what they believe in after the hangings uh, Reebok is walking and one of the villagers calls him Judas and so we're reminded of that sort of some of the Christian overtones or imagery of the film so Reebok has saved himself, but at what cost? He's seen as a traitor, a collaborator. But again, I do not think Shapitko's film is as judgmental as those villagers. I think she has an understanding, or at least a, a, a sympathy, for the complex moral decisions that individuals had to make to survive. And, um... But Reebok at the end, it's ironic because he tries to hang himself. He tries to kill himself. He goes into this outhouse. He wants to hang himself by his belt, and he can't. It won't hold him. His punishment, in a way, is to live, is to have to live with what he's done. 
I think seeing Satnikov die profoundly shakes him. You know, it 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 shatters him. I think, and um, but his punishment is to live with what he's done, and that's what every person after the war, I guess, had to live with is that if they compromised, if they collaborated, they had they had good reason to. You know, they wanted to stay alive. They wanted to protect their families, but it does come with a price. That price could be public shaming. Sometimes they were executed, you know, and killed, or just the stain on the person and on their reputation. Um, the final scene of the film is of Reebok crying and breaking down, and I think he feels remorse for what he's done or for what he felt that he had to do. And he realizes that there really is no way out. You know, he can't kill himself. He just has to live with what has happened and what he has done. And it's just haunting. It's like I say, when I saw it in 2014, I just was absolutely blown away by it and so impressed and didn't know anything about Larissa Shapitko. And, um,. So, I can't uh, recommend this film enough. Uh, it really should be in the canon, I think, of great war films, of great Second World War films. And I thought it did a tremendous job of showing the moral complexity of that time period. And like I said, none of us know what we would do, how we would react. <clears throat> Well, I guess some people like to think they'd be the heroes and they'd be taking in Jewish people and fighting in the resistance. And But when it comes to your life, so when it comes to life and death, you don't know what you would do. If you had children, if you were trying to protect your family, if you were trying to protect your own life, you don't know what you would do. Um, not everybody would be a Sotnikov, you know. But I wouldn't say that the Reeboks of the world are the worst ever, you know. There is compassion for both from Shapitko and in Shapitko cinema. There is space for both and the in-between, you know, and for the, the shades of gray and the difficult decisions that people had to make in that time period. And throughout life, I think at one time in the Larissa documentary, I didn't write down the quote itself, but I think she talks about how in life we would like to stay pure. We would like to think that we can stay pure, but in many ways we have to compromise that that at every moment we are forced to compromise something about ourselves in order to live in the world. I'm paraphrasing from what I can remember in the documentary, but I think she says something like that. So... She, I think she was very aware of these complexities and that it wasn't black and white. And that's something else that I love about her cinema. And um, so I think Wings is an amazing film. And I think The Ascent is an exquisite masterpiece. And I would say Wings is very masterful as well. Um, I, I hope that this episode is helpful or illuminating or inspiring and makes you want to seek her work out. I think she was 
an extraordinary filmmaker and one of the greatest I really do she we only really got two two feature films or she may have made a few more feature films I don't know but these are the two that are the most available probably um, you just wonder what she could have gone on to create but I think that she really hit her her peak with the ascent and um, she left behind some really strong important vital films about morality about um, war and violence and so many things that I have talked about in this episode and um, I just think she's such an extraordinary director I want more people to know about her I want more people to appreciate her work um, I want her to be like a well-known name and I just wish that we could have had more films and I wish that she we had not lost her so soon and um, I think if there's ever a list of great Soviet directors she obviously needs to be on it or if there's a list of great women directors in history she needs to be really high on it because what she did with the ascent is um, just astonishing astonishing and some of the scenes in wings just took my breath away at times the depth and the beauty and and the um the heartache at times the the performances that she got out of her actors whether it was Bogokova or Plot um or Boris uh Plotnikov um what she did was just exceptional on the performances that she got out of them and um, so I think she's one of those female filmmakers that we need to rescue a little bit from obscurity it's not that she's completely unknown you know her a few of her films are available to the public but it's just that I don't think she has the status that she quite deserves and that's what I think I wanted to correct a bit with this episode and I wanted to use my platform to celebrate her, um, to revel in her cinematic gifts and and what she gave us. You know, I'm so grateful to all these women artists and what they gave us, but we can't experience it if nobody distributes it, if nobody publishes their books, if nobody, how can we discover it if it's, if it's not known and it's not seen and so that's what I mean when feminism needs to recover and rescue and salvage these women is that we need to have their work and preserve their work preserve their life you know um, have biographies about them have research about them we need to keep them alive and we need to celebrate and recognize their contributions to these art forms and I think Shapitko is a great example of that and I think she could be a great inspiration to other filmmakers and um, yeah I hope this episode was illuminating or or valuable in some way for for all of you who have listened to it I will stop here um, thank you so much for listening I really do appreciate it until next time Keep watching great films. Bye for now.